Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman, and this is The Fran Spielman Show, brought to you by AARP. And with us is The Soup, <laughs> Superintendent Eddie Johnson. Sir, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, this is the week that was, wasn't it? I mean, this guy, <laughs> how much more are we going to have to talk about this? You know, hopefully, you know, at, at some point, we all have to recognize we have to turn the page on this thing, you know. But um, we can't turn the page while yeah. all of this stuff is going on. Mark Garagos, the attorney for Jesse Smollett, literally said the case was dropped because the Chicago Police Department investigation was fatally flawed and it was going to become embarrassing. Well, first of all, the case wasn't dropped. The deferred prosecution or diversion programs are designed for people that are guilty of low-level crimes. That's what he went through. It's not designed for innocent people. The fact that he forfeited his bond and, and agreed to community service, that's what guilty people do. Innocent people go to court and present their case in front of a judge or a jury, and then they're proclaimed innocent, not guilty. So all of that is just rhetoric, and, and that's fine. You know, at the end it's of the day... It's not fine with people, though. Well, you know what? It's for me, as the superintendent of this police department, I have to turn the page and focus on what's really important in this city. We're getting ready to go into the summer months, so I have to focus on violent crime and keeping this city safe. Right, but you weren't even given a heads up about this dropping of the charges. You're at a police graduation with the mayor and they're in the secret courtroom before and reporters had to literally scurry to get there. I mean, what kind of relationship is this with the state's attorney that they couldn't call you and tell you about this? Well, you know what, listen, Fran, um, since I've been superintendent, uh, my relationship with Kim Fox has been great. You know, but you know, you have to understand relationships with the police and the state's attorney's office can can often be akin to a marriage. You know, we don't always agree it's on It's a things. divorce sometimes, <laughs> so isn't it, it? Could be, but you know what, at the end of the day, all the police officers, the men and women of CPD, and the prosecutors over there at the state's attorney's office, all of us have the same mission, and that is to keep this city safe. So we don't always agree on everything, and that's just part of it. You know, but uh, the fact that we didn't know, okay, no, we didn't find out until uh, we were at the graduation. But at the end of the day, you know, that's a class four felony. It's the lowest type of felony that we have. 
We utilize uh, deferred prosecutions and diversion programs all the time. And again, that's designed for people that are guilty of a crime. So are you saying then that there was no way he was going to ever be convicted of anything other than a class four? No. I, what I'm saying is this. I stand by that thorough investigation that the detectives did. You heard the prosecutor say the other day they had no issue with the uh, investigation. They still think he's guilty of a crime. Now what his team says, that's what they get paid to do. So, I don't, so what I don't are they just blowing smoke because why? Because, because there's an ongoing FBI investigation of the letter that no, he sent? No, I think they're just saying that because that's what they get paid to do. They get paid to represent him. If they really want to show his innocence, go to court. Right, but what was the case that you put together? I mean, the mayor has talked about only a sliver of evidence was presented. If that file is ever reopened or opened, what will we find? How much evidence will we see that this was a hoax? Well, what you'll find is that the facts that we laid out in the bond proffer supports uh, the fact that it was a hoax. Now, if they have something that they have not presented, if they have something that disputes that, then fine, but you, you present that in court. But I can guarantee you that the, the investigation that the Chicago Police Department conducted was a thorough one, and the facts bared out that this was not a hate crime. And yet, the President of the United States, who is weighed in in Jesse Smollett's favor and said, oh, how horrible that this happened in Chicago, is now demanding an investigation of the F by the FBI and the DOJ into how the charges were dropped. And the mayor said, butt out stay on the sidelines. What do you think of that? And what could the FBI find if they did investigate this? Well, I, again, I can't speak for the FBI. I certainly won't speak for the president. Um, what I can tell you is this. CPD, we did our investigation. We turned over the evidence to the state's attorney. They indicted him and then added an additional 16 counts with a grand jury. That speaks for itself. We did our part. Now it's up to the prosecution to take it forward. We are going to focus on the summer months and the violence in this city to tap it down. But the moral outrage, I think, is that he didn't apologize to the city of Chicago. And in fact, they're saying, you owe him an <laughs> apology. Are you ready to give him one? <laughs> I mean, talk about not. unmitigated goal. I think that, that takes the <laughs> that, cake, that's, doesn't it? It's a little amusing to me. But, but I tell you, friend, you know, I've been a cop for 30 years. You know, I've seen disappointments in court throughout my career. So... It is what it is. And like I said, at some point, we have to turn the page and move on. But how demoralizing has it been to the rank-and-file cops? Well, you know what? Cops are resilient people. You know, as I said, we go to court all the time and don't get the outcomes that we're looking for. So we're accustomed to it. You know, so what I can tell you is this. Uh, in the days since that's happened, cops have taken 50 illegal weapons off the streets of Chicago. They're still investigating murder cases. They're still investigating shootings. So they're doing what they're supposed to do. You know, we move on. That's, that's what we do. We move on. When Kim Fox called you and said, listen, we want you to transfer it over to the FBI, she had gotten a call from Tina Chen, the uh, cloud-heavy lawyer who was the chief of staff to Michelle Obama. What did you think when you got that call? You know, Kim and I talk all the time about different cases. Uh, she speaks to victims as well as I do. You know, when I'm in the communities, oftentimes victims of crimes will walk up to me and give me information. So that's nothing unusual. And it's certainly not unusual for the superintendent to talk to the state's attorney. You know, so we did have a conversation about it. I told her I would look at it, and I did. And at the end of the day, you know, we kept it with the Chicago Police Department. 
And why did you do that? Because we were doing an exhaustive investigation. I was confident of the investigation that we were doing. And, and let me just make this clear, too. The FBI was involved in this from the very beginning. Because of the letter? Correct. Yeah. You know, so we were getting support uh, on both ends, you know, on the end of the, the alleged hoax and the letter. So, you know, they were already involved in the investigation. Right, but not every day do you get a call from Tina Chen. And that's why Kim Fox called you. Did she tell you that Tina well, Chen? Well, I, don't, I didn't had get called? a call from Tina Chen, and no, she didn't tell me who. who Shouldn't she have her. told you that? Not necessarily. You know, she. This is a clout person this, at the highest levels. Well, that that may be true, but again, you know, it's not unusual for me and Kim Fox to to talk about different cases, and we don't always agree. You know, so that that doesn't send off any alarm bells in, in my mind. But the but I mean, she really blew it here, didn't she? Well, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to go there. Um, they have prosecutorial uh, discretion on, in terms of what they do. So, you know, you have to ask them about what they did and, and why they decided to pursue the, the avenue. Well, she didn't even really formally recuse herself. Again, I'm not going to get it. My job is to be a cop and to, and to try to You want to, to stay out of the politics. That's exactly right. And yet, here we are, we're in a mayor's race. Mm -hmm. Your future is up in the air. Mm -hmm. Does it bother you to hear your future bandied about with Tony Preckwinkle saying, I'm getting rid of him because he won't acknowledge the code of silence? <laughs> and then we have Lori Lightfoot saying, well, the jury is out. I want to have a conversation about the summer violence. First of all, you have a pension that's coming up, and it's going to be fully vested next month. Is that right, sir? No, it's fully vested in uh, April of 2020. Uh, okay, so you need another year. To, to stay. Do you, do you want to stay under a new mayor? Well, you know what? I, I want to do what's best for CPD in the city of Chicago. And I think that, that we have shown that we're making significant progress. You know, when you look at where our crime was in 2016, believe it or not, our gun violence, we've, since we started those strategic decision support centers, we have cut the gun crime by 50%. 50% since 2017. Right now, we're which at, was a very high figure. It was. It was. You know, uh, we're not satisfied. You know, but it is progress. Our robberies, burglaries, and thefts are at twenty-year lows right now, right now. So, despite everything that's going on, we've still managed to bring crime down. Now, I fully acknowledge that in 2016 we had a horrible year, but we still have to acknowledge the progress we're making. We're not happy or excited about it, but it is progress. By no means are we celebrating or bragging, but it's still progress because we could have easily went in the other direction. So what I'll say is this, it's not about Eddie Johnson, it's about the continuity of CPD and about moving Chicago forward and keeping this city safe. That's what it's about. Okay, but do you want to stay as superintendent under a new administration? Well, yeah, I think we still have some, some things to do. And the one thing that I want to do, Fran, and I've said this from the very beginning, you know, I love this city, I love this department, and I really, really want to see a time where the entire city can be proud of their police department. We're not quite yet there. We've made some progress in areas where we had some challenges in terms of uh, the relationship between CPD and those communities, and it's still there. It's not where we want it to be. But, but before I leave, I would like to see a day when the people on the south and west sides can say, you know, hey, I don't always agree with the police department, but I think they, they are trying to do the right thing. Right, but what about this issue with Preckwinkle saying, you have not acknowledged the code of silence, and she points to the deposition you gave, and she said, we have to acknowledge that there is a code of silence before we can move forward and get past it. Listen, 
you know, when I first became superintendent, I think you asked me this question. Yeah. Did I believe there was racism in the Chicago Police Department? And I've said from day one, there's racism in America, racism in Chicago, so it just follows there would be racism in the city, in, in the Chicago Police Department. I don't know, know how much clearer I have to be about that. Well, in it's my different than a code of silence. In my though, deposition, I never said there wasn't anything. What I said that in my career, I've never seen cops say, gather around, we're gonna do this or do that. What I will tell you is this, if there are officers that are conspiring to cover up things and not tell the truth about it, in my tenure as superintendent and as I've come up the ranks, I've dealt with those people up to separation. There's no room in the Chicago Police Department for people to ignore uh, misconduct. Now what I will say to you is this, I think the majority of officers out here are trying to do the right thing. Do I think there might be officers that look the other way? Yeah, I do. do That's I, a code of silence, that, isn't it? Well, I mean, you can call it what you want to call it, but what I will say to you is uh, I think there are a lot of reasons why cops might not report misconduct. Uh, if they see their partner engage in misconduct, they may look the other way. Do I think there's uh, issues in, in, in that regard? Yeah, but I don't think the entire department, I'm not going to indict the entire department for the acts of certain individuals. When those acts are brought to my attention, then I deal with them accordingly because we just don't have any room in the police department for that kind of action. And I don't think that the police department is any different from any other profession where colleagues uh, ignore certain things that their colleagues might do. But the point is, if I'm made aware of it, then I deal with it. But so there is a code of silence among some. Well, I believe, again, that some people will ignore certain things. Yeah, I mean, that's and, and a code again, of silence. You can call it what you want, you yeah. know, if that's I mean, what you why, want to call why it. Why hesitate to call it that? Well, when I look in the dictionary, I don't see code of silence. I, this is a, a term and a phrase that people come up with, and that's fine. It means different things to different people. So we can call it that. I'm, I'm fine with that. I just okay. told you if I see those types of things occurring, then I would deal with those individuals. Okay, so Lori Lifett wants to see your summer violence plan. What is it? <laughs> the summer violence plan? We're working on it now. Uh, whomever becomes mayor, we will be uh, prepared to present it to that person. Of course, I don't want to lay it out right now. I'll, I'll wait until... Oh, go on. <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> but you know what, friend, what I'll tell you is this. Uh, we know our summer months are coming up. We know we have certain um, holidays that, that historically have been flashpoints. We know we have historic hot spots in the city. So all of that goes into the summer plan. And so those things will come out in detail in, in the coming weeks. But I can assure you, the summertime doesn't sneak up on the Chicago Police Department. So we've been working on this for, for months now. Uh, Mary Manuel always wants us to start briefing him, giving him drafts, uh, literally, right now and so we've been been uh, briefing him uh, on what the summer plan will be but it's not finalized yet but it will be in the coming few days there was a very scary incident that you made some arrests this week about uh, a group surrounding police officers were, that were trying to make a drug arrest mm -hmm. and they intimidated them and threatened them and they had to let the suspect go that's scary. That boat, what does that say about the respect for the police? Yeah, well, there? you know, we have certain areas in the city that, that you know, um, are very disrespectful, you know. But, it's, but let me just say this. In any of those communities, the majority of those communities respect the police. 
They want the police there, they just want the police to treat them fairly and respectfully. Do we have individuals that sometimes act, act nutty? Yeah, we do, and that was one of those situations. I wouldn't characterize it as intimidating the police, though. You know, that's part of our job. So they don't let suspects go just because. Well, sometimes you may have to and regroup and come back, you know. So when you're looking at the overall picture, the, the public safety aspect of it. Sometimes we have to we have to step back for a moment, you know, because we don't want innocent people to get hurt, you know. But trust me when I tell you, uh, these things are few and far between. But we do see more disrespect out there than we have seen in the past. What do you do about that? Well, we have to keep building those relationships in those communities. You know, um, it would be disingenuous for me to act like uh, the. The police department hasn't had an issue in especially African-American communities over the years. You know, it's been decades of mistrust, and you're not going to fix that in a couple of years. You're just not going to, but you have to start somewhere. And I think that the, the roadmap we've chosen to go down to build, rebuild relationships and then start new ones is solid. And, you know, and that's one of the reasons that I do want to stay, because I want to see those things through. Because as I said, I want to see the police departments uh, in terms of their relationship with the communities. I want to see a time when everybody can be proud of their police department. The suicides have been so troubling. What do we have, six of them? Um, seven. It, seven now. Seven, and a new, a new one. What is going on with that? And I mean, I know this was a focus of the DOJ report, and it, there was a mandate to increase the number of caseworkers to 10 by a couple of years from now, but don't you need to do that right now? Yeah, we're, we're, you know, by the end of the spring, we'll have 11 licensed clinicians as opposed to just three. So that, that was ridiculous, it, well, three? Yeah, I, I agree. You know, um, I think not just in Chicago, but I think law enforcement in general, we just never thought about officers' mental wellness, mental health wellness and their physical wellness. You know, uh, when I was on the streets, um, you were involved in a police shooting they gave you three days off and put you right back out there. And oh that was just God. the wrong way to do it. So we recognize now that we have to do a better job of ensuring that these police officers are 100% mentally ready and physically ready. But what's so, going on, do you think? I mean, this well, is a, a real spate. Of yeah, it, it, it's been an uptick uh, in the last few months. And what is months. it? Uh, I think that, you know, the pressures of the job is one thing, but then I think people forget police officers are people too. So they have the same trials and tribulations that everybody has. You know, they have issues at home. They have mortgages, tuitions. You know, they might have some bills that are late. So they have to deal with that along with when they come to their eight-hour job, guess what they go out and do a lot of times? They go into people's homes who are suffering those same issues, and they have to try to resolve those things. So I think all those pressures um, contribute to it. But what I can tell you is this. Um, but is it, it's a lousy time to be a cop, well, isn't it? I, I wouldn't say that, Fran, you know. In um, Chicago, though, I mean, when you realize, do you feel like, the, I mean, the morale is pretty low. No, I, I wouldn't say that. I, what I would say is the morale took a big hit back in 2015, 2016. I think it's steadily been coming up. But, you know, um, we deal with problems every day. We, we deal with other people's problems and we have our own problems, you know, and I think that where we've fall, fallen short in law enforcement, not just in Chicago, but overall, we just, we fail to make reaching out for help normal. And so now... Is it, is it a macho thing? Yeah, of course it is. You know, the military, police department, law enforcement, fire departments, it's a macho profession. 
So we have to do a better job of normalizing seeking help. You know, I, I tell not people all the time. Not a sign of weakness. It's not. It's a sign of courage um, when you reach out to get help because you have to unpack these things. You know, I tell people all the time, when I was a sergeant, I was going through a difficult time. Now, I had no suicidal thoughts or anything like that, but I knew I needed to unpack what I was thinking about. And I, I called EAP. And uh, I talked to a counselor for about two hours. And after I just spoke one to that time? person, yeah, just one time. And have I, you sought counseling in, in your, I mean, are you leading by example in seeking counseling yourself? Or? Yeah, I've, I've been to counseling before, so that's- For that's, a long period of time? That, uh, maybe for a month or so. And for what? Domestic issues. Uh-huh. Yep, yep. Okay. Family issues. Family issues. You know, so that's nothing unusual. We have the same issues everybody else does. You know, so uh, when I went through it, you know, it, it kind of cleansed me. And, and, and to be honest, I felt like an anchor had been taken off my shoulders. You know, so I'm trying to get officers to, to recognize that's not weakness, that's courage. And, and as law enforcement and uh, legislators, we have to make it easier for police officers to seek treatment if they're having some mental health issues. So you're going out to roll calls and telling them about your own experience? I mean, what are you doing to try to combat this? So we've created a, a video that's going out to the department, you know, where uh, exempt members and rank and file police officers are telling their stories to let people know it's, it's not unusual for anyone to ask for help. You know, when you think about it, I, back when I reached out to EAP, I was a sergeant. This was the early 2000s, right? And now I'm the superintendent of the second largest police department in the country. So that lets people know that you can utilize those services and it won't damage your career. You know, Governor Rauner, to his credit, last year he signed a bill that allowed police officers to seek mental health treatment without losing their FOI card. You know, so we don't want to FOID punish card, the yeah. FOID card. So we don't want to punish people for seeking help. We should encourage them to seek help, and we should be there for them. These police officers have a rough job every day. They do. So the least we could do is support them. The, Officer John Rivera being buried, what a tragedy. It is. You know, and, and I tell you, Fran, um, in, in full disclosure, um, when the mayor and I talked about me taking the, the superintendent's seat, that was one of the reasons that gave me pause because I, I just, having to be, you, you feel a responsibility anytime you lose somebody under your watch. And it's a difficult thing to have to go talk to families who've lost a loved one because what do you say to them? That's a difficult thing and I have to tell you, you know, my first experience with it as superintendent, of course, was when Commander Paul Bowell was, was murdered. And, and that's something that you have to live with the rest of your life, you know, because those family members are looking at you for something. And it's difficult, you know, and, and, and this officer, John Rivera, he did not deserve what he got. It, it was a senseless act. It was disgusting. And, you know, that family now has to deal with that forever. He's gone. And, you know, my son rode with him on patrol many, many days in the 6th District. So he was profoundly affected by it. You know, he called me that morning. I could tell um, he was just a little off, you know, and, and that's a person that I've known for his entire life. So it was easy for me to pick up on the phone that, that I He's the guy to. who gave you the kidney. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so all of those officers over there are feeling like him, you know. They all came on the job together. But Did you ask your son to go to counseling? Seek some help. Um, he's he's been pretty good about unpacking it. 
So if it gets to that point, of course, I, I, and I would offer to go with him. But, you know, we sent counseling over there to that district. So all of those officers over there have the resources they need. And some of them are, are talking to the counselor. So that's a good sign because the last thing we want them to do is, is internalize it and not talk to anybody. But it's going to take time. You know, time isn't going to heal it. But what it does is it helps you accept it a little bit better. But you've lost so many officers just in the last year. We it's have. been awful. We have. And, and How do you handle that? I mean, because you're the moral leader of this department. How do you do it? You know what, Fran? Um, do you go home and cry? No, you know, if, if crying was needed, then I would have no problems doing it. What I, what I normally do is I, I get a lot of peace in talking to the other officers about what they're feeling and just try to guide them on what they should or should not do. Um, then, of course, I would go in my office oftentimes and I pick up the Bible and read it, you know, and, and I tell you the, where my office is located. Um, I'm able to look out of that window and, and see the city of Chicago and I just look at and, and where my office is. I'll see little kids a lot of times out there playing and that that kind of stuff brings you back uh, because you know that you have to keep your composure so you can make this city better for them. The police contract is almost two years unsettled mm -hmm. and the mayor's going to punt it over to his successor. How are we going to get this resolved? Do you need some changes in the disciplinary process? Well, you know what, and, and now I have to be careful or I get uh, in trouble for unfair labor practices. But what I will say is this, uh, since I've been a cop now 30, 31 years uh, in May, the contract has really never been settled on time. So that's nothing new. Right, but to, it was, to they cops. avoided arbitration last time. Yeah, they did. That was the only time. Yeah. You know, so what I'll say to you is this. Uh, as a superintendent, I would like to see the disciplinary process more streamlined. I think it just takes too long. You know, anytime, and, and that's with the entire process. When you look at CPD, we're, we have oversight agencies up the yin-yang, you know, more than any uh, department in the country. You know, we have an inspector general's office. We have COPA. Uh, we have the city council. Uh, we have the mayor's office, you know, so it just goes on and on. And now we have a consent decree with the attorney general and a monitor and a monitor overseeing us as well as a federal judge. How much oversight do we need? You know, but, so what, but, do you, how do you, what do you want streamlined? So I, I'd like to see this occur. I don't think it's right for the public or the police officer to have a case where an officer is a, accused of something take three and four years to resolve. By the time we resolve these matters, most people have forgotten what it was actually about. And I think if, if discipline is warranted, you kind of lose um, the, the time frame for it to really have the impact that you want it to have. Because we're not only trying to change the behavior of a, that one police officer, we're trying to make sure these other 13,000 don't go down, down that same pathway. And if it takes three or four years to resolve it, I think we're just missing something there. So what should the time clock be? So I think we should be able to resolve most of these issues in a year or less. I, I really do. So there should be a limit? Uh, uh, well, I don't know what, it, what that would actually look like. I just, I'm just not happy with the fact it takes so long. Because you, you think about me, for instance. If I'm accused of something, and let's say it's something um, that would cause me to be suspended for a year or possibly lose my job, right? And it takes three or four years to resolve it. Those three or four years, I'm nervous, you know, because I don't know what the outcome is going to be. That's called stress. And now and that, that leads to suicide. That, it leads to a lot of things, you know, so that's that's just not fair for the public. And it's not fair for those police officers. But doesn't the union need to be realistic about 
changes that the public is demanding, that their elected officials are demanding in terms of the disciplinary process? Well, again, I don't want to get in trouble here, but what I think the union needs to be aware of, we're, we're living in a different world now, and all of us need to compromise. That's, that's what this is. It's like a marriage. It's about compromise, and I think all of us, the superintendent's office, city hall, the union, everybody, all of us need to compromise and and look at what's best for the rank and file and what's best for the city of Chicago. The mayor got emotional the other day talking about your partnership, this unlikely partnership where he <laughs> reached down in the ranks and got you. You didn't even apply. No, I didn't. What has this been like, this partnership with you and him? You know what? <laughs> it's funny you asked me that question. I was thinking about that the other day. So in full disclosure, you know, the mayor and I didn't know each other. You know, I, I would see him from time to time. So. The only thing I really knew about him was what I would hear you all say about him. You and it wasn't good. You were scared to death of him, it, it probably, wasn't, right? It wasn't good, <laughs> you know. What did you think? So I, I was like, whoa, <laughs> what, what am I getting myself into? And, uh, you know, so when we were talking about uh, me possibly being superintendent, you know, he finally said to me, because we talked about it about a week and a half before I actually said yes. And uh, he said, Eddie, look, you don't realize this, but your city needs you right now. He said, I'm asking you as your mayor to do it. And so what are you going to say then? And I can tell you, Fran, everything the mayor told me he was going to do for the police department, he has delivered. Um, it, it's, it's, it's been phenomenal. It, I couldn't have asked for a better partner in terms of getting CPD back to where we needed to be and, and recognizing what we needed to do together to reduce this crime. He, he's been great. And I, I wish the rest of the city would, could know the Rahm Emanuel that I know. It, what don't a, we know? That he's, that he's not a pain in the butt? <laughs> <laughs> he's firm and he wants production. And I'm okay with that. But he's also very passionate, empathetic. You know, uh, we talk all the time, you know, and, and we talk about some of these um, just egregious crimes that occur in this city. And, and he's, I tell you this, I talk to police chiefs all around this country all the time, and I haven't found one that's described their, their mayor being as uh, involved in knowing what's going on. Now, I will tell you this up front. The mayor, and it, it tickles me when I hear people say, he, he tells the police department what to do. The mayor doesn't- They plays checkers. Yeah, he, he doesn't know how to be a cop. He lets us be cops. When he said to me, we, when we talked about me becoming superintendent, I, I, I said to him, Mayor, the one thing I know how to do is be the police. I said, I don't know what the people at City Hall know, but I know they don't know the police world. I said, so I need to be able to run the police department. He agreed and he's held up his end of the bargain. Does he harangue you? How many times a day? Uh, we, talk, we talk, you know, not, he First doesn't. First call, last call? Yeah, he doesn't harass me. But when there's things we need to talk about, then we talk about it, you know, and, and I'll give him credit. He really pays attention to what's going on, and he's really, his police acumen is pretty good now in terms of what crime is and what you have to do to reduce it. He, he's For a lot of people, his legacy when the police will be the, the tape and his handling of the Laquan McDonald shooting video mm -hmm. that he mishandled. What should his legacy be? Well, for, I can only speak to the last three years. And, and I would say his legacy should be that he cared about the people in this city and he cared about making the city safe. In and, police? And policing world. And he, he gave the Chicago Police Department, along with the city council, uh, the resources we needed to make us better. 
because we're the second largest department in this country, Fran. And, and I told him this, if you want us to be the best, you got to treat us like the yeah, best. Yeah, he had allowed it to atrophy. He had allowed it to atrophy, so he turned it around. He did, in, in a big way. Yeah. And, and now, like I said, we've cut this, the, the shootings down by 50%. Since, 20, since, we, since 2017, when we launched the Strategic Decision Support Center, we couldn't have done that unless he believed in CPD and gave us the resources that we needed. So, yeah, I'm going to be sad to see him go. Superintendent Johnson, best of luck with your new mayor. Thank you. Madam Mayor, whoever Madam she may mayor. be. Yep. All right, sir. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next week.